acclaimed alto saxophonist Rudresh Mahanthava is one of the innovative young musicians and composers in jazz today. Named Alto Saxophonist of the Year for two years running by the Jazz Journalists Association, he's incorporated the music of his Indian ancestry into his compositions. In 2010, Mahanthapa released the album Apex, a collaboration with his mentor, alto legend Bunky Green, who played with Charles Mingus and other innovators. Welcome to Jazz Stories. I'm Steve Rath. In September of 2010, Rudresh Mahanthapa sat down with Ken Drucker as part of Jazz at Lincoln Center's Listening Party series. He spoke about Bunky Green, the music scene in Chicago, and the current state of the alto saxophone. So just uh, today is the release day? Yes, today. On, uh, on the Pi Recordings label? Right. Um, and we'll talk a, a bit about the band, but there's, uh, it's actually listed as you and Bunky Green. Right, that's correct. Uh, you know, as some of you may know, Bunky Green is this uh, legendary alto player who's been rather underground. He's de devoted a, a good chunk of his life to teaching and, and kind of got out of the, the hustle of performing and recording uh, quite a while ago. Um, so I'm kind of trying to get him back into that a little bit. Um, but, you know, it was important to me that that we kind of shared in this project, and, and half the tunes on the album are, are his that were written specifically for us to play together. So, um, yeah, I'm happy he's kind of in some sort of limelight again. Where does he, he teaches mostly? Yeah, he teaches at University of North Florida in Jacksonville. He, w he was one of the, the stalwarts of the, uh, of the Chicago jazz scene um, until, oh, through the 80s, I think. And also an educator, he taught at Chicago State University. Um, but people always talked about Bunky Green and Iris Sullivan, who's a great trumpet player and saxophonist and flute player and everything, uh, and Vaughn Freeman. People kind of talked about them as in, in the same breath as, as being kind of bolstering the, the, the Chicago scene outside of, you know, obviously Gene Ammons and um, a few other old folks of a different generation. Um, but, you know, I think the Chicago cold weather got to him and he was offered this job in Florida and he, he thought he was going to hate it and he went down there to visit with his wife and they said, you know, this could work for a little while. And, <laughs> How many and, years and later? And they've been there ever since, <laughs> yeah, you know. So. But he's always been an inspirational figure to me and has become a good friend over the last 10 years, so, uh, or more actually. Um, and we'd always been scheming on how to do something together and, and the opportunity kind of arose, so we jumped at it. Uh, you mentioned Chicago and how it's sort of a nexus. And I'm interested, because I think it's well documented how Chicago is a different, different musical environment, especially in the 60s. And, but I think it's still, I don't know if it still is, I don't know that much about Chicago, but when you were there, how is it a different musical environment than, say, New York or even Boston? Well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's some very healthy, you know, nurturing situations in Chicago, that's for sure. Um, you know, for me, personally, it wasn't a place to stay. It was a place to kind of get some stuff together before coming to New York. I mean, obviously, the AACM, you know, Muhal Richard Abrams and um, Anthony Braxton, George Lewis, you know, that, that was an amazing scene that came out of Chicago. Um, it's an interesting place. I had a little, and every city, I have to say, I mean, New York is a little bit hard to judge, but I think every city has their kind of, um, their peaks and valleys of, of, of creative output. Um, 
And when I was in Chicago, I think Chicago was in a little bit of a rut. And having just spent the last, you know, four or five days there, because my, one of my bands was playing there, I can see that there is this other vibrant thing happening there. And there is this scene of uh, younger folks who are, who are doing some interesting things and very proactive, starting their own festivals, starting, you know, their own organization, much like the AACM did. When I was there, I, I felt like AACM was in a little bit of a rut, and um, it was a little too straight ahead. Uh, the scene, the city was either too straight ahead for me or too avant-garde for me, and I didn't feel like there was a place for is someone it, that wanted to walk split, in between. Because that's sometimes in New York they say, you know, that's... Yeah, well, people who say that about New York often have had a bad experience here and have left here. <laughs> but um, I think Chicago is changing too. I, I mean, I think... Some of these folks are really kind of are, are shooting for that in-between space, which is where you know, for me, that's where my favorite music kind of exists. You know? um, but the difference—I mean, coming to New York wasn't only about the music. I mean, we all have these dreams of who we want to play with and what we want to do. And you know, I think I'm not the only person that moved to New York because I wanted to play with Jack DeJohnette and Dave Holland. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sure there are many an alto player that. Have had the same goals, um, but it's also just kind of the gateway to the rest of the world, you know. Uh, but that's changing a little bit too. But even when I moved here in '97, all the fully functioning big record labels were here, and you know the the agents and the managers and the whole industry was here. And the way to, this was the way to springboard to Europe and springboard to the rest of the world as as a performer. Um, but I think that's that's becoming a little bit diversified now. I think there, there are other communities in the U.S. that maybe are going to have similar access and that maybe it's not necessary to have to move to New York. But even as recently as 10 years ago, it was definitely necessary to do so. You know. The music you compose, it's about evenly split. It is. Company. Yeah, yeah. Did yeah. you compose it specifically for this band or were these tunes that you had uh, around most of what I wrote was specifically for the band, and most of what I wrote was actually for that concert in Chicago that, from a year ago. Yeah. And do you know if Funky composed for this group, or are these some things he had? No, I think everything except for one thing that actually is is a a bonus track that you'll be able to get on iTunes. It's actually not on the album. Everything but that is was was written for this group as well. You know, he was really kind of he was concerned with trying to kind of write stuff that could highlight both of what we do and, and, and leave space for us to really not only solo but interact, you know, together, even if it's playing melodies or if it means improvising together or playing off of each other or whatever. But he made it very clear from the very beginning that um, anything that I would, every time I said, you know, well, I'm going to write some stuff, you know, he would always kind of freeze up. He's like, well, you know, I don't want to play any of those sevens or elevens or thirteens or twenty twos, you know, I don't want to play any of that stuff that you're writing. He said, because even if I work on it and get it together, I'm never going to feel comfortable playing it. And, uh, and I mean, he's 75 years old. Why, why would he want to do anything that made him feel uncomfortable? Buggy was telling me he won some scholarship when he was 19 or 20 where uh, he got to live in Paris for a year. Some foundation, you know, sent him to France for a year. Um, and I can't even imagine what that was like as like as a as a young 19 year old African American in in France. And then he, it, during that year, he spent like two months wandering through Algeria and Tunisia, I think. 
And just, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing if you think about what year that was, you know. Um, but he heard, he said he heard some mu amazing music in North Africa that kind of, that just really changed his whole perspective on, uh, on music, you know. And I hear tinges of it all the time in, in his approach. And I think there's even one tune on here that's still yeah. kind of based on that. Uh, Eastern. Uh, yeah, Eastern Echoes. You know, he kind of, uh, you know, plays around with these these kind of scale-like melodies that you know that, that are easy to associate with like North Africa or the Middle East or something. And those I've seen that in in all, a lot of his writing and playing. You know, even from the stuff in the '70s that I was talking about before, for sure. Um, and there's something very smart. I mean, obviously he plays with a lot of fire and, and a lot of passion, but he plays with a lot of intellect as well, and a lot of warmth. And I think all that balance between, you know, seat of your pants and your heart and your brain. I mean, the musicians that I've always looked up to that I aspire to be have kind of this equal balance of all of those things. And uh, um, that's one of the things that really attracted, that, that was very charismatic about Bunky's playing for me. And um, uh, I think that's part of why he, he, you know, he saw us as being kind of kindred spirits, which we were both kind of take, try to take very modern approaches to playing this instrument. And another thing to consider is the alto saxophone has kind of been the, the unsung hero for a little while, pretty much since Cannonball. It's kind of, saxophone's kind of all been about the tenor, you know, it's, you know, it, when, it, when it was Coltrane and then, you know. Um, and Sonny Rollins. And then Sonny Rollins, and you know, along the way you have like, you know, George Coleman, later on you have Michael Brecker and David Liebman and Steve Grossman. and. You know, it, it's kind of been about the tenor for a while, and um, I think in saying that, Bunkies is like, come on, man, alto, we need to, you know, we need, we need to bring that back as, as a force. Alto saxophonist Rudresh Mahanthapa in conversation with Ken Drucker. You can find the video of the entire listening party and more jazz stories at jalc.org. Jazz Stories is produced by David Gorin, Alexa Lim, and me at Murray Street with support from Jazz at Lincoln Center. Consider becoming a member or joining us for a live performance. Find complete information at jalc.org. For Jazz Stories, I'm Steve Rath.